Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful time of worship this morning, and it's just so evident that uh, the Lord is with us, and he's drawing near, and uh, I think when he does that, uh, it's a good sign of his safety and and of his love. Um, Interestingly, in the the last couple weeks, uh, I've really been feeling the Lord leading our church and and have talked with our staff and elders uh, into a time in some ways of preparation and consecration for Lent. Um, I've had a couple prophetic words uh, in the last week about the importance of the Ephesians series that we did in the fall, uh, and that God, through the fall, was really bringing to light the nature of sin. Uh, and, And Ephesians 4 talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new, putting on the righteousness of God. Uh, but, But what's been coming in has been specifically... Uh, about this holy exposing of sin in our body. Uh, And it's such a beautiful thing to know that we can stand before the Lord in total vulnerability and total honesty and be accepted. That that when the light comes, that darkness just has to flee. If you have a dark room and you turn a light on, it doesn't gradually become more light. Light comes and darkness has to vanish. And, and the prophetic that I've received from a few different people is that we are entering into a season of God's illuminating light, which will cast out the darkness, which will expose the darkness of our heart. And, and one of the words came from Missy last Sunday, and it was specifically around sexual sin. Uh, and so what we've been doing uh, this week as a staff and elders is, is really allowing the spirit to consecrate our hearts to really go deeply to say we actually want everything of who we are to be holy and pure before the Lord and to receive him fully and to not let anything stand in the way of God. And at first I thought, oh, this is not the season I would have picked. That seems like Lent and Epiphany is a a feast. It's a celebration of God coming. But Epiphany is, it's a glorious season of revealing. It's, it's the revealing of the glory of God incarnated in the person of Jesus. Uh, and there's something I think profoundly important uh, for each one of us constantly to be reminded of who this Jesus is. And I think we had a, a taste of that in worship. We had a taste of who this Jesus is, that we all came in broken and destitute and in need, and he drew so near, and it was gentle, and it was beautiful, and it was safe. But who is this Jesus? Who is this Messiah? This Jesus has been easily the most polarizing figure in human history. He, he elicits both wholehearted devotion and, and radical rejection. This Jesus, who is in himself our life, he is our peace. He is God come down from heaven to pursue a sinful people to bring about redemption. This is not something that we can ever, friends, ever let become commonplace in our lives. And so as I challenged you last week, this epiphany season, we have to dig in everything about who we are and what we do and what we believe into the person of Jesus, to spend time in the word, to spend time in prayer, to find who he is and experience him in our lives. And and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, because of the incarnation, because he demonstrated beyond any demonstration, his love in coming from heaven, removing all of his glory and taking on flesh, that he is a God who pursues sinful people. And if, if we just turn and seek him, he promises that he will be found. 
And so in this epiphany season, I am praying every single day that I would receive afresh a a, a new revelation, a deep revelation of the goodness and of the glory of God, that I would know every morning and every evening the kindness of his mercy, that I would know his steadfast love, that I would experience tangibly his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards me. So this Sunday, we're, we're back in the lectionary with John the Baptist, John, again, who is the, the greatest of the prophets, uh, and in this text, he is, he is pointing to the coming Messiah, and it's just days after the baptism of Jesus. You can put John 1 up. Let's start in verse 29. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because, I was, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Two turned and saw, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The word of the Lord. So again, Jesus is standing, uh, or John is standing with his disciples, and he sees Jesus coming towards him. And prior to the baptism, God had revealed to John that that the one in whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that's the one who's going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. On the one whom the Spirit descends will be revealed as the Messiah, will be revealed as the true Son of God. And John in verse 34 says, And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. I have seen. I've had revelation. I I know. I, I I can recognize the reality of God incarnate on earth. Friends, revelation of the divinity of Christ can change everything in your life in an instance. And we've had experiences with that. Uh, I remember early on in my time at Via, Bishop Todd was, was preaching on, uh, on our John series, uh, the series called The Sun. I, I was sitting back about where Albert was, uh, and in, in one of the prayer times after church, uh, I, I was just praying and, and asking God to show himself to me And I heard his voice so clearly, uh, and he said to me, my boy. That was all he said. And that was what I felt like probably the only thing I'd heard in a few years from God. He just said, my boy. 
And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that day that I was the son of God, that I wasn't just a, a servant, that I wasn't just someone who went to church, but I was intimately brought in to relationship and union with God, and nothing could have denied that from me. I think I cried every time I thought about my boy for about six or seven months because it changed everything about who I am. It changed my heart. It changed the way I view God. It changed the way I related to God because in an instant, I had the core of my identity and the core of my being revealed to me by Jesus. Friends, that is grace. That is divine revelation. That John, in this moment, doesn't have physical eyes to see the divinity of Christ. In the flesh, he couldn't perceive it. He didn't know what he was looking at. At this point, Jesus hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't walked on water. He certainly hadn't gone to the cross. And yet God and God alone revealed to John in that moment, this is my son. This is the, the savior of the world. He knew with, with the depth and a profundity of the, the goodness of God in that moment. Not just that he was the Messiah, but he actually could perceive the nature of this God's saving work. He could, he could perceive the nature of what he was like as God. Friends, what was that nature? John sees him and proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just let, just let that into your heart. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is who the Son of God is. That's what he's like. That's what his nature is. That's what his character is. He is the Lamb who comes gently and peacefully and sacrificially for everyone for all time, for the sake of their souls and their lives. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Saying, look, the, the one who is eternal, the one who is before me because he was before me is now standing right before us. The one who is the Son of God who took on flesh and came as the suffering servant, who came as the fulfillment of the Passover, who came as the fulfillment of every Old Testament sacrifice, of every act of worship. He stands before us. Look at him. Just as God provided for, 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 uh, for Abraham the, the ram in the thicket, now he provides a perfect lamb for all time, for all sins. And he takes the cross for our sin and our iniquity to be slain for our sins and to come and make peace with all humanity. We want peace. We want life. And we talked about peace last week. We talked about our sin disrupts peace. Our sin separates us from peace. Our sin is the antithesis of peace. But Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, came sacrificing himself to make peace for all of sinful humanity. And this text says the Spirit of God descends upon him as a dove, as a sign of peace. Last week, we, we looked at the nature of Noah's ark, that the dove was sent out, and it came back to Noah on the ark as the promise of a new creation, the promise of restoration, the promise of redemption. 
Now for those in Christ on the wood of the cross and the cleansing waters of baptism through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God comes the Spirit to bring about peace to each and every one of us. The Spirit to descend upon our heads and to remain on us. Freeing us from every hidden sin. Freeing us from every bit of anxiety. Freeing us from everything that plagues us and that the illuminating light of the glory of God can shine upon his people because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here. Takes away any fear of being vulnerable, fear of being totally known by God because he comes with peace. Takes away the the worry of actually coming face to face with the reality of our own need. And the only way to receive this peace is to turn fully towards the Lamb of God. To turn fully towards his sacrifice and receive afresh day by day, moment by moment, the reality of his salvation, the reality of his deliverance, the reality of his protection, that through his side we enter into him and are saved in the perfect ark that is Jesus Christ. The better protector, the ultimate place of safety. You are hidden in God and need nothing but him. John John knows the reality of this Savior as one who came led as a lamb to the slaughter. One who's gentle and kind. And he came for each and every one of us, for every sin, for every thought, for every desire, and for every action. And he took upon himself, on the, on the hardwood of the cross, the, 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 by grace and by his shed blood, that we could enter into his mercy and into his salvation, that he took upon himself the wrath of God. He took upon himself the punishment for our iniquity. And he says, give it all to me today. The next day, John again is standing with his two disciples. And Jesus again is walking by, and he just says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Let's read verses 37 to 41 together. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They turned and saw them. He turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. To, To some degree, these disciples of John were able to recognize and see Jesus. They were able to see him as the Lamb of God. They were able to see him as who he truly is as the one who takes away the sins of the world, the one who is in himself life, the one who is in himself peace and hope and joy, all of that embodied in the incarnate Christ. And it's important that they leave John and follow Jesus. This is a paramount aspect of this story. That John, who is the herald of hope, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, prophesies the coming Messiah. And when he did this, these men had a choice. Do we stay with John or do we follow the Christ? And they chose rightly. 
Friends, this is a deliberate choice to follow Christ. And it is a fundamental aspect of each and every one of our lives and of our faith. These men were just kind of creepily following behind him at a distance like strange stalkers. This is them going, no, I'm going to become a disciple. This is wholehearted following of Jesus. And he turns and he, and he sees them. And he initiates contact with them. He moves first. He says, what are you seeking? What do you want? What are you looking for? Leslie Newbigin, a bishop in the Church of South India, notes the importance of this question, recognizing that, that for each one, he says this, each one of us are questioned, challenged, and called upon to take responsibility for the direction of our seeking. At some point, we are all brought to the deliberate choice where we have to answer, what are we seeking? What do you truly desire. If you look at the the heart of hearts, if you look at who you are, what do you desire? What do you want? Because what you seek inevitably will lead to what you find. Are you seeking life or death? Hope or despair? And so Jesus asked them a, a theological question. What are you seeking? And they give him an answer that has theological depth to it as well, though probably more than they knew. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Seems like an unimpressive answer. What's your address? <laughs> I'd like to send you a postcard. What do you guys want? Ah, just your home address. Seems odd, but it's not quite what they're asking for. Staying is translated as abiding. What are you seeking? Where do you abide? And this is a profoundly deep question. Deeper probably than they knew what they were asking. But it shows the longing of their heart. What are you seeking? I seek to be where you are and with you wherever you're going. They could have asked, what's your plan as the Messiah? Could you detail step by step how you plan to overthrow Rome? Could we weigh out the pros and cons of following you over following John? We need to make an educated decision as to whether what you're offering is better than what we currently have. Maybe, maybe if you could just give us a taste of your goodness before we fully commit, that would make things okay. Well, how is this going to benefit me if I follow you? That is in no way what they're asking. He says, what are you seeking? And they say, we just want to be where you are. I need to know you. I need to be in your midst. I need to know the kind of place that you call home. To be where you are in your home. And we, we know where Jesus abides, that he abides in the Father. And in turn, anyone who follows him abides in him. And so in following Jesus, they're not just going to the physical location of his home, that they're on their way to their own true eternal home in Christ. Where do you abide? Because I need to spend the rest of my life in there. This kind of abiding can't just be mere theory. It can't just be words. So he says, come and you'll see. He doesn't tell them where he lives. He says, come and you'll see where I abide. We don't know much about their time there. 
But we know the nature of his salvation was revealed. We know that when they go, they see who he is. They know the place he makes his home. And they find peace. And they find hope. And they go out and tell everyone, we've found the Messiah. And they did. They stayed with him. And Andrew, after he left, went to his brother and said, we found him. We found the Savior. We found salvation. We found the true Lamb of God. It was no longer about John having a revelation. This had been revealed to them through the descent of the Spirit, and now they owned it, and they knew it. They followed him, they found what they were seeking, and they saw it for themselves. And this is the promise for each person in Christ today, that you can find what you're seeking, that you can know the reality of salvation, you can experience the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and be changed. Friends, when we, when we live in sin, when we live in fear of being known by God, when we try to hide our true selves as we truly are, when we live lives that are not following our Messiah, we are fundamentally seeking something other than him. And that will lead to nothing but death and hopelessness and despair. And in some ways, if we are living lives perpetually in death, hopelessness, and despair, it is a true sign of the nature of our seeking. And so John's declaration is, is so, so profoundly important for us today. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But friends, there is no area of your life, there is no area of your, your body, your heart, your mind, your actions, your emotions, that God does not want to bring about life and redemption to. There is no sin too great, no shame too powerful for the love of Christ, evidenced by the work on the cross to come and breathe into you and bring you into life. And again, we, we've talked the last few weeks, the, the nature of repentance. It, it isn't just about saying sorry, and it's certainly more than just an inner sense of regret. And I think oftentimes we think that's what repentance is. I said sorry, nothing changed. I feel regret, now I'm moving on. The reality is true repentance is answering the question, what are you seeking? True love of God has action every time. And it is leaving one thing and going to something else, wholeheartedly saying, I will be wherever you are. So what in your life today feels like life is crashing in on you? What feels like I've been hiding this and I need the light of God to come and just bring it up so I can remove it, so I can put it on the cross with Christ and see salvation? Because friends, the answer to our anxiousness, the answer to our pain, the answer to unrelenting, addictive, repetitive sin is turning from the world and wholeheartedly pursuing God until we know that we have found the Messiah. These disciples left John immediately. And John's pretty good. But he's still not as good as Jesus. Not even a question. There's the Lamb of God Great, that's where I'm going. Friends, in this epiphany season, seek him. Get down into a time of prayer and ask yourselves the real question, what am I seeking in life? And is it Jesus? Or is it notoriety? Is it success? What are we seeking? 
Because if we seek him, if we look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, if we say, let your illuminating light shine upon my heart, we will find him and we will go to where he abides. We will go to the heart of God. And there is an invitation in this season, friends, to know afresh for yourself who our Messiah is and to know the nature of his salvation that we can enter into his life, that we can enter into his peace, into his hope, and into his joy. And, and friends, just allow your heart to let the radiant light of Christ shine upon you. Amen. Bishop Todd.